In this week's episode of Farmer's Inside Track, how to farm with subtropical fruits in Mzanzi. Subtropical fruits like avocados, mangoes and lychees are always in high demand when they're in season. Work accident support with Stefan Peterson is back. This week we discuss the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act with a specific focus on the benefits payable in terms of this act. Farmsoul boss Aaron Kole believes food security and alleviating poverty is our collective responsibility. In our farmer development segment, he unpacks how we can change our thinking about this. We catch up with two SNK buddies, Efria Adriante and JD Nodia. They have turned a real-life farm problem into an African tech giant. Their company, Adigen Technologies, already serves more than 100 clients across the continent. We also meet Disebo Makatse, a dairy farmer from Valcom in the Free State. She now wears the crown as this week's soil sister powered by Foodform Zanzi and Corteva AgriScience. Our book of the week as selected by our farmers is The Hard Thing About Hard Things, Building a Business When There Are No Easy Answers by Ben Horowitz. And later in the show, we catch up with Lusanda Mkwanazi, a third-year agricultural student at Sadara Agricultural College in KwaZulu-Natal, who shares with us his top farming tip. This is Farmers Inside Track. Supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzanzi, welcome to episode 81 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi. And I'm Duncan Masua, and thank you for listening to South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast. Okay, let's kick off this show with that promise segment about farming with subtropical fruits. Journalist Nicole Ludolf chats to Tiens Boerta of Lapland Farm in Tazanin in Limpopo, where he farms avocados, mangoes and lychees. Thanks so much, Dawn. So Tiens, how easy is it to start farming with subtropical fruit? If you start from scratch as a young farmer, the problem is to get a decent farm because farm prices is now very, very expensive. So I think for a young guy that's got nothing to want to start farming, it's going to be very, very difficult. But if you got some help, there's definitely money to be made in the subtropical fruit business. We specialize on avocados and mangoes. Mangoes, let's start off with avocados. Avocados, we're talking about from soil prep plus irrigation everything including the trees we're talking about 110,000 rand a hectare to get your trees planted in the soil ready to go with irrigation you're talking about 110,000 rand a hectare mangoes is a little bit cheaper we're talking about 60,000 rand a hectare get going so that's up and above your what you pay for the for the farm this is to develop one hectare one hectare is 100 by 100 meters piece of land that's on the development and from then you carry on every year your fertilizer program for a avocado is much more expensive than a mango we're talking about on an avocado we're talking about 12 to 14,000 rand a hectare only your fertilizer for every year on big producing avocado trees is very expensive on the mangoes it's a bit cheaper we're looking at about three or four thousand rand a hectare for fertilization on the mangoes 
What do the local and export markets look like for avo, lychees and mango? Export market for avocados is very good. Lychees, not so good. And mangoes, it was very good a few years ago, but it's not so good anymore. We've got a lot of competition from overseas. So what we do, we have got, we're in an early area. So our early avocados, our fiertis, we don't export. We sell them for ripe and ready. That's the supermarkets like Woolies in South Africa. We get a very good price because we are an early fruit that we can pick. So for us, our early avocado cultivar is not necessary for export, but for local because the prices is so good. Then when we start with our second cultivars, the commons and the Hassa, then we start exporting our avocados. And because we are also in the early season, we are the first avocados that goes out like the Hass and the common. We are early on that as well, so we achieve good export prices. So the mangoes is a different story. We don't export at all. We do a lot of local marketing, direct marketing to places like Woolworths. So we don't just put mangoes on the open market. We've got supermarket contracts that we do the mangoes with. A lot of our mangoes go for drying, which is also a good outlet for the fruit that's too big and the fruit that's got some sunburn. And then, of course, you've got a little bit going to juice. So we don't throw anything away. The mangoes is doing also very well, but not necessarily for export. Leeches, we've got a little bit of leeches, but that's a sideline. We normally market it on the local market because we haven't got a lot of leeches. Do you have any advice for farmers who might want to get into subtropical fruit farming? If you want to buy a farm, you must go and look where is your early area or a late area, meaning if you start picking avocados, will you have earlier than the rest or are you going to be later than the rest? Normally here with us in the low field, it's a bit hotter, so we're earlier than the rest. So our market, we go for the early cultivars. Early cultivars like Fiorti and Carmen and Hass, that's where our, our niche market is. In a late area like Boon Machubas Kluwef, then you will go for late cultivars and you go for the end of the market segment and there you will make your money. If you buy a farm that's in the middle, you're not early, you're not late, you're in a difficult position because then you're in the middle when everyone starts picking, you also start picking and the prices are not necessarily so good on the exports and also on the local market. So picking your farm is very important. You must be either an early area or a late area. Definitely it's important. If you're in the middle and you come in with a rush, then normally prices are not so good. Yeah, lastly, um, we belong to the Avocado Growers Association and the Mango Growers Association. They do a lot of research and they do study groups where you can pick up your skills and hear of new products that's coming through or new ideas. So definitely important to join the Avocado Mango Growers Association or the Mango Growers Association. And then you got access to all this knowledge which you can get. If you're a new farmer and you want to start fresh, before you buy a farm, get a farm in the right area. As I've already said, very important. Then go talk to someone with knowledge about the product. We've been farming with that for a couple of years. And don't go and buy the first farm that you get. Make sure you've got enough water because that's the next thing. People buy farms and then they wanted to plant 30 hectares of avocados and then you see he's only got enough water for five hectares because avocados needs more water than a mango. And uh, a mango, you can come away with less water. So depending on your water on the farm and it will depend how many hectares you can do. Soil type also very important if you want to buy a new farm. 
Make sure about soil type. If the avocado normally use better soils, red hutton soils, whereas a mango you can do on poorer soils. And the other thing is how cold is the farm. If it's a cold farm, that means you get frost in winter, then you're going to lose a lot of production on pollination and fruit set. But when you obtain a farm, that's all the things you must have to have a look at. What is the slope of the farm? Is it a warm slope or a cold slope, close slope? That all depends on what's your feasibility of making a success. Thanks, Nicole, and great having you, Tien's Boeta. From fruit farming to new farm technologies, two Western Cape buddies, Efria Adeyanta and J.D. Nodia, have turned a real-life farm problem into an African tech giant. Their company, Adigen Technologies, already serves more than 100 clients across the continent and they're revolutionizing the way farmers think about precision harvesting, packing and job costing. Now, many farmers are rather old school and seem to want to farm like it's always been done. Why should the new generation of farmers be embracing new technologies on the farm? We're finding that new generation farmers are more open to embracing new technologies. And the reason for that being is that the landscape has shifted so dramatically in the past 10 to 15 years, especially where costs have risen dramatically and the income on the farms might have stayed a bit more steady. So farming the way it's always been done might still seem like a good idea. And it is effective because that's the way they got to where they are. They do need to start looking at new technologies, but not for the sake of it. We're finding that technologies is only a tool in the toolbox of the farm. It's just kind of like a new kind of toolbox they need to start opening to start driving efficiencies and also keep farming sustainably for the future. Does new technologies come with a heavy price tag? Because there's a perception that it's rather costly to embrace the future. Finding that not all technologies come with a heavy price tag. There are these that are very glamorous and very, I would say, taking the spotlight, which might drive the perception. But we're finding that farmers are using very witty and very creative ways to use free internet tools to just drive efficiencies on the farm. Like WhatsApp, for instance, is becoming an everyday tool farmers use to communicate effectively on the farm, creating groups on the farm and communicating within them. And it's a free tool. So we're finding that it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive to solve problems on the farm. But there are these technologies that do drive that perception and come at a heavy price tag. It comes down to the farmer making calculation and making a judgment based on what the cost saving is going to be from the technology as well as the, the cost of implementing the technology. That's a calculation each farmer needs to make on their own, but the perception is changing and technology is not as expensive as it would have been a few years ago. What's the Adigen farmer solution that you're most proud of? Asking us which of our solutions we're most proud of is like asking which of your children are you most proud of. So it's a very difficult question to answer just off the bat. I'd say we've got three solutions, which is the harvesting, the packing and the job costing. It's always a work in progress, but the suite of the three solutions together, which we're still in the process of making talk to one another flawlessly, will be the solution we're most proud of. Since we're not there yet, I need to choose. And I'd say the scales, and which is the packing side, and the harvesting is the one we've solved very well, and we are very proud to have these products in the market. Our job costing is the most sophisticated one. If it comes to a certain threshold, that will be our proudest product by far. Thanks for joining us, Sefri Adriansa and JD Nodia. 
We now change gears and move the discussion from farm technologies to farmer development. Farm Soul boss Aaron Kole believes food security and alleviating poverty is a collective responsibility. In our farmer development segment, he unpacks how we can change our thinking about this. Now today we're talking about food security and it being a collective responsibility. And in one of your thought pieces, you refer to the impact COVID-19 has had on global food security with specific reference to the national poverty line released by Statisa indicating that a person living in South Africa today needs at least 585 rand to ensure basic required energy intake per month. Now, is this realistically possible for South Africans, in your opinion? You know, Don, the issues of food security for me are really very close to my heart and the issues of poverty alleviation in general. You know, because I think indeed it is everybody's responsibility. But at the same time, when you look at that threshold of absolute deprivation, it is just the absolute deprivation. That figure was a figure released by SA, as you rightly put it. But it was released, I think, somewhere in April of last year. And if you look at the food inflation in April of this year, uh, 2021, I think food inflation increased by about 6.3% or so over the same month compared to the previous year. So... What does that mean? The likelihood is that today you might need actually a little bit more money than what you required last year. So that actually have increased because of the food inflation that has increased. But to answer your question more directly, though, it will be unrealistic and impossible for all South Africans to have this basic amount, as much as it may be the 585, as most of them are unemployed with zero income. So where would they get that money? I think we must not lose hope, though and that we should remain optimistic as the economic outlook remain positive and that there are signs of economic recovery. I believe there will be further improvement as more and more people get vaccinated you know, for COVID. To achieve all this, would have to achieve it as a collective and in collaboration. It can never really be only about the government or the private sector. It's indeed everybody's responsibility. You also believe that food security and alleviating poverty is a collective responsibility. How do we change our thinking about this? You know, Don, today we are battling with COVID-19. And you'd agree with me, perhaps, that this disease will surely not infect all of us, but will affect us all. Surely, it will affect us all. It might not infect us all, but it will affect us all. It is the same with poverty. If you don't deal with poverty as a collective, everyone, the haves and the have-nots, the private sector and the public sector, those that are living in rural areas and those that are living in urban areas, including future generations to come, will be affected negatively if poverty is not alleviated and dealt with today. You know, so for me, I think to tackle these challenges as a collective, I think firstly, we need to forge partnerships and collaborations between all sectors of government and business. We need to break down barriers that impede on entrepreneurship development. We need to create more entrepreneurs so that we create more new jobs and promote self-reliance than dependency. We need to invest in educating and empowering our youth and women in particular so that they too can participate and contribute positively into the economy. I think if we can be able to change our mindset and as a collective drive this behavior, absolutely, we could actually make a mark in terms of alleviating poverty. Thanks again, Aaron Corley, the Managing Director at Farmsel. Be sure to check out Food for Mzanzi on Fridays as we introduce you to a different Farmsel Youth Ambassador. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. 
and the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for Ziri or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Next up, work accident support with Stefan Peterson. He now joins Dawn to discuss the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act with a specific focus on the benefits payable in terms of this act. Now, Stefan, maybe you can start by giving us a brief overview of what this act actually entails. Yeah, as I mentioned the last time, as soon as any company in South Africa appoints an employee, and specifically with regards to the agricultural industry, this works includes seasonal workers. They have to register with the Department of Labor's Compensation Fund to cover their workers against work accidents. This company must also pay an annual fee to the fund, and failure to do this will result in penalties being issued against the company. And also, once a worker is injured, it has to be registered with the fund because there are certain benefits payable. Now, generally, how many accidents are normally reported annually to the compensation fund? Quite a big number of accidents that are reported annually. So the last record that we have currently is during the year 2018-2019, there was about 117,000 accidents reported. And this comes from all the different provinces in South Africa. And specifically from the agricultural industry, there was about 10,000, which is the biggest number of all the industries in South Africa, which is understandable because just the amount of labor-intensive work that people in this industry have to perform, and also just the sweet numbers that are in the industry, so one can understand. And the Western Cape was the second biggest number after Gauteng. If you could explain the process of exactly what needs to be followed when a worker is injured at work, I think that's very vital information because usually you're in a state of panic, you don't know what to do, and then you're worried about a lot of things. What is the process that usually needs to be followed? This is a very important aspect that companies should follow. Responsibility each of the employee, the company, the, the, the farmer, the owner, to report these accidents as soon as possible. So once a worker was injured, he has to perform his immediate line manager or his supervisor or the owner of the business about this accident where a specific form has to be completed. And as soon as that is completed, the worker must go for medical treatment. And normally, if the owner of the company is not going to transport the worker, the owner must phone an ambulance to transport the worker to the nearest doctor or hospital. So basically, that is the responsibility. If the worker is booked off for a period more than four days, at least after three months, it is also the responsibility of the company to pay the worker his salary while booked off duty. Now, could you tell us more about the benefits in terms of this fund? Yeah, there's actually quite a number of benefits, and some were also added recently. So the first benefit is basically what they call temporary total disablement. That is the loss of income. As I mentioned, the owner has to pay the worker a salary and then the owner has to claim that money back from the fund. So there's a specific formula which the fund is going to use and how they calculate it. And furthermore, if the worker is off duty for longer than three months, then the worker has to claim it directly 
from the compensation fund. A second aspect of what they call permanent disability, in the event that the worker's savings is finger was cut to, then that worker can qualify for what they call permanent disability. The fund will also use a specific formula and then the money will be paid directly to the worker. And then also in today's circumstances that we love in, if anyone contract COVID within the workplace, those cases must also be reported because they can also be regarded as a occupational disease in terms of the act. And then furthermore, in, in the unfortunate matter of if someone passed away while employed, the person's family might, well, even the parents as well, but in most cases, the wife or the husband or any of the children, they can qualify for, for a multi-pension. In the case of a wife or a husband, a widow or widower, they can qualify for the rest of their life and the children can qualify up to the age of 18. But in the event that they do study further, they can still qualify for the pension to be paid until. And a third aspect also, in, in terms of a fatal case, the female benefits will also be paid back to the person who paid for it. And then of course doctors also have to submit their invoices directly to the fund because the fund also acts as a medical aid exactly like your normal medical aid. So the doctors can then also claim their money even hospitals, pharmacies can pay directly from the compensation fund. If, for example, you made mention of the fact that if there's a three-month period, the worker themselves has to claim, do they then have to do all of that administration themselves, or can the employer also assist them with that? Well, actually, that is also the responsibility of the employer to guide them through that process. But at that time, when the worker has to apply, then I think most of the administration would have been done already. So the pay would have been registered, it would have been accepted. So the only thing that the work has to do after the three-month period, if they still good off, they basically just have to complete this pre-scribe affidavit and just get the latest report from the doctor confirming that the worker is actually booked off and then submit the directly to the nearest labor center. And then what you also mentioned is that companies should also know that it is unlawful not to report work accidents and that owners can be penalized and prosecuted. Yeah, that's very important because unfortunately, because there is sometimes a struggle with the administration and also just dealing in general with government departments, many companies sometimes feel, you know what, I'll pay the cost, the medical cost, I'm not going to report the accident. But that's actually unlawful in terms of the act. So companies have to report the accidents within seven days from the fund and then basically just submit medical reports if and when an employee is booked off duty. And what it is very important to know, it is not the responsibility of either the worker or the company to pay for any medical costs. Doctors must claim directly from the compensation fund. As I mentioned earlier, the fund also acts exactly as a medical aid. So Doctors will be paid directly by the compensation fund. That was Stefan Peterson. He is the owner of Work Accident Support, a company acting as a third-party administrator for companies and also consults companies about the administration of work accidents. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. Great insights as always, and we're looking forward to our next engagement. What will that be about specifically? Currently, there's a number of amendments which the Department of Labor is looking at to introduce. So that is something which we are going to speak about. And then also just in general, some of the challenges facing employers as well as their workers 
I will tell you the day-to-day issues surrounding the administration of this entity. Thank you so much, Stefan, once again, and everything of the best for the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Now for our book of the week, as selected by farmers, is The Hard Things About the Hard Things, Building a Business When There Are No Easy Answers by Ben Horowitz. In the book, he talks about the two kinds of friends you need as an entrepreneur. One, it's a very lonely job in that you put yourself out there. You say, hey, Lou, I'm going to start a company. Isn't that a great idea? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Silicon Valley, start a company. You're going to be rich, Mark Zuckerberg. Go for it. And then what kind of happens to you? You go, okay, I'm going to start a company. I got this idea. Now I, I got to start hiring people. So I'm, everybody I know who I really respect, I'm going to try and get them to join my company. And then everybody who like really trusts me and believes in me, I'm going to try and see if they'll give me some money for my company. And then I'm going to start building it. And then things start going like really like wrong. Do you have any entrepreneurs here? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Like stuff starts going really wrong. And so then you're kind of all of a sudden like totally alone because you are terrified that all the people that you know and trust the most and really your entire circle is connected to that company. And if you start failing, like who do you call? Like what do you do? And so there's kind of two kinds of friends that are extremely valuable. The first kind is that friend who when you call them and you have good news and you need to share it with somebody and you need them to like feel happy for you, not like, oh, that's great. Screw that guy. I don't like him anyway. But really happy for you, like happier than if it had happened to them because you need that support going when something goes right to keep you going because you know things are going to go bad eventually. And then when something goes wrong, like who can you call that might be able to help you out of just like a horrible, terrible situation? Who might be able to reach out and say, okay, you're falling off the cliff, like give me your hand? Those are the two kinds of friends that you need. Bless you if you can find somebody like that. Thanks, Ben Horowitz. To suggest the next book of the week, simply email us at info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. You're listening to Farmers Inside Track, South Africa's most downloaded farmers podcast, proudly brought to you by Food from Zanzi. Drumroll, please, for this week's hashtag Soil Sister, powered by Corteva AgriScience. She is Desebo Makadze, a dairy farmer in Valcom in the Free State. Besides being a farming force to be reckoned with, she's currently also on a year-long blender development program at the Gibbs Business School. Desebo, where and how did your farming journey start? I started farming in 2000 at the local common age. I applied for a farm in 2004 and got it in 2009. Farming there was a problem due to water that was contaminated due to nearby mines. I had to travel 25 to 30 kilometers to get clean water for my livestock and for my produce. I then applied for another farm which I acquired in 2014. The main enterprise there is dairy. I'm currently milking 66 Asha breed 
The milk is collected every second day by clover for Woolworths. I have done and completed a lot of agricultural courses with agricultural institutions and departments. I have established a very good relationship with seasoned and commercial farmers. My children have joined me in this venture. One has completed BTEC agricultural management. The other one is into digital marketing. My daughter is a project coordinator and has completed MBA. My love for business comes from my late mother. May her soul rest in peace. What are some of the toughest lessons you've learned along the way? What I love most about farming is the whole process of creating food. Products that feed the nation and providing them with nutrition is so fulfilling. Lessons that comes with that process are so important even in my everyday life. Farming has taught me patience, consistency, endurance, focus and to pay attention. It gives a sense of peace and calm. It is not easy but worthwhile to see the fruit of your hard work or labor, no matter how small, it is an incredible feeling. And then any advice to women entering the farming arena for the first time? Tips I would like to give to women is that farming is the way to go. It is the heartbeat of every country. Through it, people can eat and it is a mass creator of jobs. It is therefore vital that women participate in this sector known to be male-dominated. Women must participate in all the value chains. It is not easy, but possible and doable. Do not give up. Be prepared to work even in adverse weathers. Famine requires patience, endurance and collaboration. It is impossible to survive without the help or assistance of others. Find mentors, seek help or advice from the farmers that have been in the game for long. Be prepared to learn and face challenges. Understand the farming side and the business side of farming. Don't be scared to dream big and grow. As women, together we can do wonders. Let's take up the space in this farming industry of fraternity. Wise words there from Disebo Makata, a dairy farmer in Valcom in the Free State. Be sure to also read Disebo's inspirational article on Food for Mzanzi's website. Also stay tuned for our Farmer's Tip of the Week from Lusanda Mkwanazi. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes a meal a treat. It's super sure bread and super sure flour. A proud member of the VKB Group. From breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes, Supershaw makes the whole family smile. Find Supershaw on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. We've just about reached the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track episode. But before we let you go, our Farmer Tip of the Week is from Lusanda Mkwanazi, a third-year agricultural student at Sadara Agricultural College in KwaZulu-Natal. The tip I have for today is, especially for the youngsters and the youth within the agricultural space, is in tough times like this that we are facing, as we can see, unemployment is sky high and you have other issues that are constantly just being a problem, such as COVID-19. 
the best advice I can just give my fellow peers is to just constantly keep pouring on your cup because we can see that the challenges are always be here in the sector and there's nothing you can really do to stop those problems but all you can do is just grow yourself in the meantime just constantly keep on pouring within your cup enlighten yourself with more knowledge get inspiration from people who've already made it out there in the sector because those things always just keep you going read magazines get some special training attend like an online course just do whatever it is that you can to constantly grow yourself and enhance your knowledge in the sector i feel as if that is what has kept me going that even though we face tough situations i can still be able to be like at least i learned something new today at least i'm growing it's all the small pieces in a puzzle that will come together in the next few years I'll end off with a quote by Jennifer Lee. She says, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. So once again, I'll keep repeating this as it's the tip of for the day that just constantly keep pouring in your cup so that you can overcome any obstacle that you face in your daily life. And Lysander's farmer tip of the week brings us to the end of this week's farmer's inside track, proudly brought to you by Food for Mzansi. For more daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. Farmers Inside Track is available for free on Spotify. Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and of course also on foodformzanzi.co.za From me Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team have a great week and please let's continue to keep each other safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. What joins a continent? But its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers, in the rhythm of the land. What ignites its future but the promise to fulfill to protect and grow the very life of tomorrow This is why we do what we do under the African blue Corteva Keep growing You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast supported by Food Form Zanzi For more information find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za